Here's a question for you. Uh, who's afraid of the 15-minute city? Hmm? You might be familiar with the concept. It's, it's, it's quite a thing in urban planning circles or, or just people who live in cities. The idea is a simple one. The, your your neighbourhood should provide residents with, with the basic things that they need in a 15-minute radius by foot or bike. It's a lovely idea. It's about urban amenity. However... Uh, not not everyone uh, is on board with this idea. It has it has become curiously part of the culture wars uh, in Canada and the UK. There have been protests against the fifteen minute city. The claim is that it's a yet another tool of dystopian government overreach. Freedoms are being threatened. Uh, what is all this about? <laughs> And how how did the the polite world of urban planning crash into culture war conspiracy theories uh, to help us pick our way through this possible minefield? We've enlisted urbanist Brent Tadarian. He's founding president of the Canadian Council of Urbanism and a former chief planner in Vancouver, city from which he joins us now. Brent, welcome. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, based on your introduction, I'm, I'm tempted to start by quoting a, a social media poster who said, you know, half jokingly and half frustratingly, we're afraid of reasonable walking distances now. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it is a bit surreal. I've never in my 31 years seen it play out so aggressively on city planning, which is something that is sort of happening in the background of all of our lives pretty much all the time. In those 31 years, the 15-minute the, the city idea, where, I mean, when did that first pop up? Well, it's been around for longer than my 31 years because, of course, we used to have 15-minute cities as the sort of norm, the idea that we, we had... villages. <laughs> they, they, they call them good neighborhoods yes. where you didn't have to get into a car for everything. You could walk to the corner store or you could drive to the store. You had the choice. But since the 1960s or so, we've, we've deliberately... Uh, based on the advent of the car, eroded that. Uh, so we have a, a simulacrum of freedom where we think the car has provided us with freedom, but we're completely 100% car dependent, depending on the kinds of neighborhoods that we live in. You know, I'm I'm not an anti-car guy, but I'm an anti-car dependency guy. I say we, we can't keep planning cities and, and regions where the car is the only choice, because that that may seem like freedom to some, but it's kind of the opposite. Dependency is never freedom. And that's that. it's something being pursued quite actively by communities around the world. Well, and, and but that's not new either. In, in, in Australia, for example, for years, I think a couple of decades now in the policy, there's been what's called 20-minute neighbourhoods. Uh, Melbourne was one of the world originators of the, of the idea of applying time to our neighborhoods. The the amount of time it takes to for us to get to the thing that we need or want every day. So the twenty minute neighborhood concept's been around for decades, I think, in in Melbourne, and we've called them many things in in city planning in my thirty one years. We called them complete communities or just mixed use communities or just the opposite of suburban sprawl and car dependency. Uh, it's sometimes called the city of short distances where, you know, 
everything you need is just a little shorter than in other cities. You can get to it easier. So all of these ideas, uh, I used to call it when I was chief planner of Vancouver, the power of nearness. If everything is near, you don't have to choose the best way to go far. Uh, you know, there's so there's been this conversation's always been a part of good city planning. Mm. What Paris did a few years back was branded as an idea, the 15 minute city, and it became and it got a ton of attention because it became part of the reelection platform of a very popular mayor and Hidalgo. And they packaged the idea better than any city had ever done before. And so it got a ton of attention with other mayors because that Mayor Hidalgo was overwhelmingly reelected and that got a bunch of mayors' attention. So cities around the world started to have the conversation. I, I think it's just the power of branding. You know, if you can brand an old idea with a, with a shinier brand, it gets attention. Mm. And so cities around the world, mayors and politicians around the world started talking about this very old normal concept of why why do we have to drive to everything? Why can't we have more choices and more freedom to, to choose rather than just having only one choice, the car? But it's such a fundamental idea. Yeah, yes, of course, there's that thing of convenience. But the other side of it is too, that if we live in a place where th- th- there is this range of stuff accessible. It, it, it fills human need in some way. It reduces the scale of our lives to something which we as people can get our heads around. And I think we, we start to feel more comfortable in those smaller spaces. Well, and you feel more connected with your neighborhood. Yes, You're more likely yes. to uh, interact with your neighbors. By the way, your carbon footprint's a lot lower, so it's a powerful climate change mitigation tool. It promotes urban health and thus promotes the actual reduction of public health costs, which are a huge part of the taxes we all pay. It actually does lower our taxes because it reduces the amount of public costs associated with transportation because there's nothing more expensive for municipalities than accommodating car trips. And it it promotes individual affordability and household affordability because you don't need to own the second car or maybe even the third car. Um, so there's just it's this cool I, idea. There's so many public interest reasons yes. um, to want to do this. It's kind of a no-brainer. But you know where, where the conspiracy co- theory comes in, and why I'm calling out the conspiracy theorists, the liars, frankly, uh, because we're sometimes too nice when we try to explain something that's being um, you know said is going to happen isn't really going to happen or isn't really being done. The, the, the thing about conspiracy theorists is they know the old saying in politics, which is, if you're explaining, you're losing. We're, we, we're losing because a lie gets a lot more attention than the, than the rational truth. And so I'm pushing back in a more aggressive way because I'm not just explaining what 15-minute cities really are, uh, but also I'm calling out the liars. Well, tell, what's the lie? What, what's the lie being told by the conspiracy theorists? Well, it ranges every well, it starts with this suggestion, like everything else that the conspiracy theorists and extremists and the QAnons uh, are doing is it's always an attack on individual freedom, even if ironically, it's providing more choice. The lies range from small lies like um, like this. They're going to not want you to drive to 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 big lies, literally using terms like they want to turn your neighborhood into a concentration camp. That your life is going to be like the Hunger Games, where there, there's different sectors that you're that you'll be representing. Like the the it goes from ridiculous hyperbole to outright lies, and these these aren't by accident. It's a tactic. 
they know that the more outrageous the lie, the more attention they get. Is is it just about attention, or is there some some outcome that that people have in mind? Well, you know, ironically, there are conspiracy theories about why conspiracy theories happen. So I, I don't want to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. But but the truth is, there are people out there making a living on this kind of thing. The Fox News is in, in the United States, etc., who, you know, more clicks, more viewers, more uh, means more money, literally. But there's also we know there's a psychology out there of, of, of certain populations, minority populations in, in the sense of numbers. But that just really, really like and embrace and, and find meaning in, in being angry about, you know, uh, what they're told is happening out there. But the problem is, and listen, everyone's allowed to have their opinion, but the tactics associated with these kinds of conspiracy theories range from bullying to violence. Mm. You know, this is the same kind of narrative and rhetoric that that fueled the um, the long-term truck occupancies in in cities in Canada and fueled the capital insurrection on January 6th in the United States and even things like the Brexit decision in the UK you know they overlap with political ge- agendas uh, etc and and 15 minute cities is the latest bone to chew on from the same groups to the same audience and it actually takes concrete form. In, in in February February ten, there were protests against fifteen minute city plans in in Edmonton, a, a, a city in your your fair country of of Canada. What, what's happening there? What what was being protested against? Well, the the city of Edmonton in that particular case, and and there are cases in Canada, there are cases in the UK. I think actually ground zero for this was in some of the UK scenarios where where some of the the, the QAnon types first started to send out to their network, uh, hey, everybody, um, uh, this is what's happening with 15-minute cities with their lies. Um, I think it was UK, but it's also happened in, the, in, um, in Australia. It started to happen in the context of some communities that I know about that probably haven't hit the national news yet. In the Edmonton case that you asked about, mm. uh, it's because the city has been doing a new plan. They've been having a conversation about these age-old concepts like more complete neighborhoods. And the narrative there is indicative of how this works. You take an idea about having communities that have more local things, more choices, and instead of debating whether that's a good idea, the narrative is they're going to force you to stay in your neighborhood. You're not going to be allowed to leave. Um, you know, they're going to take your car next. Uh, and as I said, the the more outrageous the lie, the more attention it gets within these networks. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's an, it's an invidious problem in, in all sorts of uh, uh, policy areas. I mean, here is a thing which I think most of us would agree that there are many aspects of, of our urban our, our urban places which are currently not working optimally. To say the least. And and to a certain extent, the reason, you know, I've said to some folks, listen, I'm not, I didn't invent the 15-minute city brand. Uh, the city of Paris did as a brand, but I've been working on on these kinds of things, as I've said, for 31 years. So I don't, I don't, I'm not t- trying to protect any ownership in the brand. It's not my job to defend a particular brand. The reason it's being attacked is because the Paris brand was successful. It was getting people's attention. The media was talking about it. The politicians were talking about it largely because of the attention that Paris got, and that made it a target. And lately, anything that gets a lot of media attention and is sort of government associated, because city planning 
comes from government, um, it, be, it, it it's like a magnet for these kinds of conversations lately. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I've never seen something like this. As I say, I'm used to disagreement. I'm used to vigorous disagreement. What I'm not yes. used to <laughs> is lies and conspiracy theories and bullying and violence as a tool to shut down discourse and actually stymie other people's voices. What happened in Paris? And what's been the outcome in terms of amenity and quality of life? Well, it's been it's played out in the context of the pandemic. Uh, there was infrastructure that was put in and moves that were put in during the pandemic like other cities did uh, to sort of address the fact that people needed to get outside during the pandemic and and because that, that was the safe place to meet with your friends and neighbors as opposed to inside during the pandemic. And so they actually made great progress on on providing alternatives to the car infrastructure for walking, biking, transit, et cetera, and, and public spaces as as a place to um, to meet your neighbors in a safe way during the pandemic. But they always said, you know, this isn't just a pandemic idea. This is just a good idea for a more livable city and a more um, happy city to, to begin with. So it's not going to go away after the pandemic ends, quote unquote. But it's um, uh, it's it was a good idea before the pandemic. It's a good idea during and after the pandemic. So Paris, uh, you know, there's always been debate in Paris and, and vigorous debate. I'm well aware of it. And some of the debate make, raises good points because implementation, you know, you don't always do it perfectly. But I think Paris, the irony is Paris has been watching these uh, explosions of 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 conspiracy theories play out in other cities in the world and they're mm. just scratching their heads saying where did that come from <laughs> uh, that's uh. not that's not what we're doing in paris and and they're hearing themselves described uh in other cities and around the world and going that's not what we're doing where did they get that you know it's and and there's this tendency just to think well i'll just i'll just weigh in and i'll i'll clarify you know let's just clarify but you know, I'm I'm being blunt here. It isn't a challenge of clarification. The liars know they're lying. They're they're not going to be convinced to stop lying because you give them the facts. The facts are not in their interest. It's not it's not part of their strategy. So I think we have to call out that kind mm. of tactic, that kind of behavior, and you know, show it for what it is. And that doesn't mean we we stop any dissent. That doesn't mean we stop any debate. Of course. There's always going to be debate in city planning, always. But there's a good faith debate based on disagreements, and then there's deliberate lies and misinformation. And you mentioned there that that phrase, city planning. It's it's not like this is an area which hitherto had been completely untouched by the heavy hand of regulation and government. This is a an area in which, hopefully, you know, governments do make plans and interventions on the, on the shape. And, and amenity of of our urban spaces. We we want that to happen. Planning, capital P, is 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 not a thing to be resisted. Well, you know, and and let's be clear. A lot of city planning in the past has failed. A lot of city planning in the past and in the present is not particularly good. Yeah. You know, we've actually deliberately planned car dependency. That was a that was a government plan to create the kinds of communities we have now, and we've realized. That that isn't the way to go, and and need to make and we need to make a shift. But listen, just because I'm a city planner for 31 years, I can be one of the most vocal critics of of past and present city planning moves of, of just about anyone. And I'm a pretty <laughs> blunt guy, so I don't I don't pull any punches. So this isn't about uh, stymieing criticism. It's just not. 
but you're not going to get anywhere achieving better communities if you're starting off by lying and you're and deliberate lying to make people scared and misinformed and angry and then try to shut down good policy based on lies and misinformation i've got zero tolerance for that so if we're going to have real good de debate and discussion and democracy and good decision making you know truth is a necessity it, it it's 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 a necessary starting point to make good decisions Brent, thank you, and uh, truths firmly spoken. Well, well done. Thank you. My pleasure chatting with you. Although I, I don't, I'm not sure I would call it a pleasure because I don't like having to talk about this. But it's, <laughs> but it's necessary. It's an important conversation, and it's necessary. Brent Tadarian, a Vancouver-based urban planner, founder of the urban design consultancy Tadarian Urban Works, and there we are, culture wars entering the the rarefied realm of urbanism. This is Blueprint for Living, ABC RN. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.